Welcome to the latest episode of the Visions and Tones podcast. I'm back again. Um, I'm excited because today I'm having a special guest that I've been trying to get to the show for quite a long time. It has been very much challenging and um, she's amazing. If I can just give you a little bit of uh, info about her, she's actually uh, a uh, a leadership and business coach no this is not what i want to look at let's look at something else okay she's actually a leadership and business coach and she specializes in um, leadership and career strategies and growth you'll basically tell me if i'm presenting you incorrectly <laughs> ladies and gentlemen welcome tona full how are you my sister i'm very good tony thank you so much for having me i'm excited for this conversation we're gonna have today right right but you were away for a holiday how was how was canada for you Oh, it was amazing. I went to visit my mom right. and also just have some time to unwind. And when I unwind, my creativity goes like super high. So right now I'm charged. Ready right. To so it's great. This is the first time you engage with somebody since you got back, right? Yes. Fully charged. Fully charged. That's so you're going to get the best version of me today. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about this. So today I would love us to speak about, maybe before we get deeper to speak about um, imposter syndrome is something I want us to talk about today. Yep. Can you just tell us a little more about your company, Afu? Yep. How does it come about? Why Why did you decide to venture in this um, yep. mastery, so to say? Yes. I, yeah. So um, it's from when I was little, like a little girl, I was al- I've always been curious about how things work and always been drawn to um, systems and connections and just like, okay, this links to this and this links to this and this links to that. And so that's sort of the approach I've taken in my life. And so I, I migrated from Zimbabwe to Australia 20, 20 years ago now. Wow. Yeah. And then when I came, that cultural shift really shook me because it was like everything I'd known was suddenly different. And then so out of my journey is how actually I've started this company. Out of my journey, the journey I walked, the challenges I faced, and now I've gained some insights and some expertise and then using that with my mastery in education and life experiences is why I've started this coaching business. Right, right. Now, what's your background in terms of your education? Okay, so I am a trained accountant, so that's my first degree. And I actually started studying for my CPA, and I did the first module, and I'm like, this is not what I want. Yeah, what is CPA? Sorry, Certified Practicing Accountant. Oh, right. So it's like Chartered Accounting. Oh, right, right. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that phrasing for here in Australia, or it's just a global phrasing? Uh, it's a global. Right. Yeah, but... It's either you're a certified practicing accountant or you're a chartered accountant. Right. So those are the um, professional bodies right, right. when you're an accountant. Yeah. So I did that. But what I was missing was the people side. So I then went and did an MBA, Master of Business Administration, yeah. Yeah. which sort of gave me an overview of how to run organizations. And after that, I've done a lot of executive leadership training in design thinking, whole brain thinking, um, just working with people, coaching, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so I combine my technical expertise, like from that accounting background, my analytical, and then my love for people, right. as well as research-backed systems and theories. Um, yeah. And 
currently, just apart from AFL leadership and business training or coaching, you also work at the University of Newcastle. Yes, I do. And and in what space are you sort of working on there? Yeah, so I work, uh, my official title is Executive Officer. So basically, I run the day-to-day operations of the section I work in. And I'm also part of the leadership team that does the strategy. And so my main role is to manage the team of professional staff that manage the systems that support teaching, research and engagement. Right. And for how long have you been there? I've been in that role for six years. Right, right. Yes. Wow. Um, 20 years in Australia, you alluded a little bit about part of your challenges sort of propelling you towards, you know, studying the business um, and, and um, life coaching. Um, I'm curious knowing whether when you started, who was your main target, so to say, and your target in terms of clients, were they migrants or Australians or anybody? So when I started, it was actually my circle of friends that would come to me and say, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And then that sort of, after a while, I began to develop some tools. Um, My passion is for minorities and in minorities in whatever situation. So I'm passionate about helping women. I'm passionate about helping migrants. I'm passionate about helping humanitarians, uh, like refugees. Yeah. And within my business, I've actually structured it in such a way that I work with businesses and organizations where I have a different, uh, you know, coaching system, pricing structure. And then for my clients that are migrants and like sort of entry or, you know, just coming into something new, I have a different uh, coaching structure for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And, with regards to what we're going to talk about today, in the number of clients that you've seen, how many of them would you say they really battled with imposter syndrome, but at the same time, maybe they wouldn't be aware that this is imposter syndrome? I'd be close to saying 100%. Right. In some form. So, because there's different types, uh, there's different ways imposter syndrome presents itself. Right. Presents itself. Mm. So... Feel yeah. free to go. We, yeah. We're in. Yeah, we're within. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's different ways uh, in which imposter syndrome uh, presents itself. And sometimes people don't even know that they're suffering imposter syndrome. So I might as well just start by saying what is imposter syndrome. Yeah. So imposter syndrome is a type of fear. So it's a fear. It's where you question who you are as a person. It's where you question your identity, which is different to self-doubt. So self-doubt is about questioning your ability and your capability around something. And so imposter syndrome is a recurring emotional experience. And there's this sense of dread that you feel over and over and over again. And there's research that was done uh, in the 70s by a, a doctor, Pauline Clance, and she actually said in her research, and she's still going, she said 70% of professionals, both men and women, have experienced imposter syndrome at some point. So with imposter syndrome, you're questioning who you are as a person. So it's when you go into a room and you look around and immediately you discount yourself and say, I don't belong here. That could be imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So basically, 
a state of unworthiness around people could that could that also be part of yeah unworthy it's where you discount who who you are as a human being oh. saying i do not measure up to whatever standard right that you've put in your mind right but what so in terms of your frame and what you look at, you you dig more deep into psychological work to build the frame of what imposter syndrome is in terms of your work? Uh, or you have a specific frame that you sort of developed yourself that you feel like you want to lean towards? Uh, yeah, it's a mix. So there's stuff, of course, that's been, there's a large body of work yeah. around imposter syndrome. And so when I'm working with a client, the first thing is, understanding where they're at. So my job as a coach is to uh, challenge assumptions, right. is to um, offer new perspectives, is to hold you accountable. So I actually mm-hmm. don't come up with saying, you need to do this. I hear where you're at and where you want to go to. And my job is to create a roadmap with you mm-hmm. to get you from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And just by, I guess, coincidence, with most clients I work with, someone will come to me and say, I want to get a promotion. I'm like, okay, let's work on your resume. But once I start to talk to them, you, I notice maybe they're short selling themselves. I'm like, why are you not going for this job? Because based on your skills, yeah. you could do such and such a job. And then we start to dig deeper. And so there's a lot of self-reflection on the client's part right and in that then i'm just sort of asking questions to find out what are the triggers why do you hold back when you're in this situation and so in terms of dealing with imposter syndrome is finding out what the trigger is then you intercept that trigger so there's Mm -hmm. tools to intercept that trigger Mm -hmm. and then you will redirect or we reframe so when those thoughts come that tell you you're not good enough to be doing this type of job yeah then we intercept that thought. How how likely do you then get to work with maybe psychologists when you discover that somebody's sort of imposter syndrome might be, in, you know, or maybe the first question should be, what what are the causes of imposter syndrome as far as the research work that you've done? And in the case where this is the second question, in the case where you would discover that, you know, for many people it's really deep traumatic experiences yep. that they may need a psychologist yep. how often do you work with people from other disciplines quite a lot actually yep. um there's so i'm not a psychologist um when in that initial conversation i have with clients depending on how deep it is i there have been people i refer to mm-hmm. psychologists and i say this is deeper than what you're describing from the conversation we've had I would recommend you see a psychologist and then I'll give them the contacts I have right. just as a starting point. Uh, when it's like imposter syndrome unchecked can go really deep. Imposter syndrome unchecked can go really deep. Yep. It can become, you can become depressed. You can become like the anxiety you feel. You could, you could not even want to leave the house. Mm-hmm. So once it starts to affect your being, it definitely needs professional psychological help. Right. So that's, um, I would refer someone to a psychologist. And I know it can also lead into addictions and whatnot, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It leads to addictions. It leads to a point where you don't even know who you are. So um, 
you can sometimes when imposter syndrome is is big in someone's life they become a different per- person around different environments mm-hmm. and if you keep it's that context switching if you constantly do it mm-hmm. you could lose who you are and then that internal conflict within yourself like who am i when i'm with my social group i'm this person when i'm with my work people i'm this person when i'm with another group of people i'm a different type of person and it's only when you come home and you know i always joke around in my house that when you put your head on the pillow you meet the real you right you meet the real you and if that real you is in conflict with who you're constantly presenting that is exhausting interesting yeah i like it so what exactly is the main cause yep of this sense of unworthiness or whatever self doubt or yep so research that's been done is it's it, imposter syndrome comes about as a result of past experiences <laughs> so and the experiences can be traumatic or they can just be someone questioning who you are so it could be parents it could be caregivers it could be coaches uh it could be you were in an environment that constantly said you don't belong so i'll give you an example when i was in high school um when i was going to what would be year 11 year 12 um so the school i went to they sort of offered you a place based on your academic strength mm-hmm. and they would say these are the subjects that you're going to do so they offered me um subjects along like like uh, sciences But the teacher I had had previously left the school. Mm-hmm. And the teacher who was going to take the sciences for the last two years didn't believe that girls wow. should be in the sciences. And I remember when I was earlier years I'd watch that the girls that would do it their confidence and their self-esteem would just dwindle. Right. So when I knew that this man was going to be my teacher I was like I'm going to change my whole career. and it was a fight but i actually did and i did that because i'd seen the impact his words had had on those girls which wasn't good right oh, i wasn't good like i wish i could go back now and <laughs> with everything i know right with everything i know right right and you know with with what you just said now I think if I'm not mistaken you I heard okay I had two different kinds of materials so I don't know which one is which now in this yeah. um one I heard on a different podcast I think it's freedom to belong one of the uh doctors who's a behavioral scientist actually spoke about how African migrants are sort of reluctant to go into different kind of workshops or act- do different activities here Uh, but it didn't seem to me that the link towards that was the the critique pose was sort of cognizant of the fact that there might also be an aspect of imposter syndrome but instead it was sort of um linked with people being too much uh clinging or clingy towards you know their own culture where they came from and so on and so forth. And I think it was in within your conversation also with 
um, what's the name again? I just asked Ali- you about her. Ellison. Sorry, Ellison, for say for doing this to you. <laughs> yeah, you had a conversation with Ellison. I think I had something sort of being echoed, but in terms of your point, you were referring more towards you know the cognizance of imposter syndrome as one of the things that might hold people back than you know feeling that I could be a part of the space, I can come to the space, but. How do we reconcile sort of that kind of a conflicting thing where one or the differences between understanding that one is just being clingy to their culture and they don't want to step out as opposed to, but there could really be, the clinginess is just an aspect of imposter syndrome. Yep, yep. Definitely. And within communities, we tend to be drawn to communities that look like us, Mm -hmm. that sound like us, Mm -hmm. that um, have the same ideology as we do. And there's safety in that, you know, there's safety in numbers. Um, The downside of that is if we always hang around people that are like us, sound like us, there's some barriers we need to break that we wouldn't break. And, but sometimes that safety in numbers is a way of dealing with trauma. Mm-hmm. It's a way of saying, I don't want to expose myself. So when you're breaking barriers, so if say in that migrant community and you want to leave, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to walk in rooms when you walk in, the room goes quiet and everyone looks at you. But you have to just push past you know, those moments. And in doing that, you gain new understanding, um, you gain new knowledge. And that's sort of the journey I've walked. Like I've walked in room, most actually, to be honest with you, most uh, intellectual executive rooms I walk in, I'm either the only black woman or I'm either the only woman in that room. Wow. And I've had to do healing on myself to say, you know what? I'm doing this for other people. And I have a two-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've, I grew up in a family. I've got three brothers. And then I had two boys. So I was just like, oh, yeah. But once I had <laughs> my girl, yeah, something in me clicked. I was like, I don't want her to fight the battles. That you fought. That I'm fighting. Right. Well, and still so, fighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't want her to fight those battles that I'm fighting. So now... I have this, my son calls it mama bear mentality. I was like, you know what? I am going to do whatever I can to break those barriers. I might not be able to break them in my lifetime, but she will see me stepping out, which is what I want her to do. I don't don't care what she does. I just want her to step out and do whatever she wants to do and not hold back because she thinks she doesn't belong. She thinks um, people would judge her. Wow. And it which it must be hard, eh? Because it seems like there's multiple things that while you're trying to undo certain traumas of the past, there's still some that might actually try to rewrite themselves. Because I'm thinking about, as you're speaking now, that you're, only the, you, you're often either the only person of color or the only woman in the space. I was challenged sometime, I think it was last year, I attended a... Um, uh, first aid course and I didn't do it at the uni this time I went elsewhere outside in Newcastle and I was the only black person in the room yep. but now I'm not really bothered by that 
it came a time that then you have to pair yourself with people and there were sort of people close to me that I sort of tried to gesture to them kindness and whatnot beginning of the training. But then with time, when it's time for um, partnering or doing activities and whatnot, none of the people wanted to sort of work with me. And I started turning, looking around the room, (laughs) which was a very awkward thing. But for some people, that can actually paralyze them in a way where they feel like, I'm trying to fit in, but still the space is rejecting me in a way then how do i push against these traumas that keep on recurring each and every time because that can be traumatic for certain people especially if you feel like i'm trying to let go of you know clinging to only people who look like me clinging towards my culture but moving towards multiculturalism so to say yeah no definitely and it's that's where it's the job of everyone around. Like mm. it's not, so for people that are trying to break barriers, like if I'll just use the example of, um, there's a big push, you know, for women in senior leadership to be CEOs and that sort of thing. Unless the people that are in those positions that have the influence actually start to look at it mm-hmm. as this is something they need to do, this is something they need to help fix, the job is harder. And for someone who's constantly getting, that is rejection, Tony. Like when you walk into a space and immediately you don't feel like you belong. So belonging is one of those fundamental rights we all deserve and we all need. So if you're in a place where you feel this place is rejecting you, you close up and you're like, I'm not going to give myself. It's a protection mechanism. You know, you just close in. I'm not going to share my ideas. You could have, you know, the best ideas. There's, um, I don't know if you know Cheryl, Cheryl Sandberg. Mm. She, I don't know if she's still the CFO of um, Facebook. She wrote a book. And in the book, she's, so she's passionate about teaching girls how to code. And right. there's, um, I don't know, some school where they went and there was girls and boys in, in the class. And the teacher would ask questions. And none of the girls would lift their hands up and they would go and look and actually see that the girls would have worked out whatever coding uh, scenario that they were given. Mm-hmm. And the girls would only lift their hands if they knew 100% that they had the right answer. So that's the thing. When you're suffering, uh, I don't really like saying suffering, when you know imposter syndrome is influencing you, you minimize your capabilities. Mm-hmm. You minimize who you are and you minimize the contributions that you could be making, say it's a classroom, it's a workplace, or whatever right, environment right. that you're in. I think you were touching something there that I want to sort of tease back in terms of, um, but in this case, we're talking about CEOs and whatnot, uh, also seeing that it's incumbent upon them to help others feel you know, the sense of belonging and so on and so forth. But um, at the same time, I was thinking about in a space where it's not necessarily corporations or whatnot. I don't know if you're familiar with the works of Dr. Uh, Likumba, who writes about belonging and whatnot. Yes, yes, yes. I've, I've tried to sort of get her over so that I can have a bit of a chat with her because I find, I find her concepts a little bit challenging to me. Mm. And I'm thinking in terms of belonging while at the same time one is battling with racism and battling with imposter syndrome so to say yep. 
in terms of community and in terms of belonging, how do you see other people helping one who might be struggling with imposter syndrome to create a safe space for them? So that's actually one of the strategies for dealing with imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. is um, you create a community, like you create a group of people that you're safe around like you create that group so it's your safe space it's your dream team mm-hmm. people that can you can be honest with you can vent and say this is what i'm experiencing but you don't want the venting to then go negative where you just, right. it spirals right it needs so i guess as a coach like when i'm hearing people i'll then ask and challenge assumptions like okay is this the reality of what happened or this is your perception? Why do you think this is a reality? What happened? And then you're having those conversations because with imposter syndrome, it's internal. It's our internal dialogue telling right. us we're not good enough. Yeah. However, external forces can magnify it and can expand it. And then also um, just knowing who you are, which takes a lot of courage mm-hmm. To actually do the deep work of like, okay, this is where psychologists come in or counselors come in, where, you know, you move past that I'm a product of my past. Yes, the past has happened. However, I have choices to make from this point going forward, regardless of what's happened Mm -hmm. in my past. Yes, that could still impact my future. However, I choose to choose a better future for me. So it might mean not going to those environments if you can. Okay. Um, I've worked with, um, so I work mostly with professionals. There's people I've worked with where I said the environment you're in, from what you're saying, you're not safe. It might help you to move on from Mm. that environment. Sometimes environments don't change. Mm. And there's no point you keep pushing you keep yeah. pushing you keep you just keep it's like your head biting a wall yeah and wall you're gonna move wall you're gonna move the wall is not gonna move yeah but you're gonna bruise yourself so so that's part of knowing yourself no is it because when you said you you have to know yourself a lot of things were sort of happening in my head is it a matter of ethos values or whatnot uh knowing how much can you take in and learning to let go whenever you feel like nah this is now beyond um knowing when to quit if it's time to quit quit, but how do we how do we quit and without in terms of your profession how do you quit and still not feel like i'm a failure yep it's about if you're in a place that begins to impact who you are as a person that begins to make you question your worth, your value, I would say leave that space. Like, leave that space as quickly as you can. I know, like, in the professional world, it's sometimes tough because you're like, I need the income. I would go to a lesser job than find my feet again and find that higher job if it means to mm-hmm. that. Because that, when you're constantly, the environment is telling you you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Yeah. You're not good enough. It becomes a self-belief. You then start to believe, I'm not good enough. And then you don't put yourself out for the opportunities. You don't um, articulate your value, which is the biggest thing with the professionals I work with. Mm-hmm. They are so capable 
but they do not know how to communicate that value. Right. Yeah. I like the idea of articulating values. So when you had a chat with Alice, you actually raised a um, couple of points, five points that you said, you know, career people make mistakes of. And, and, and because of that, this leads towards um, imposter syndrome. I don't know if you have them there. Do you want to sort of take, take us um, through to them a few mistakes that career people uh, make? And if you can sort of link that back towards how, how do these five points speak towards people are not career people if there's ever any sort of yep, sure. similarities yeah yeah so in the work i've done so i've just summarized the five biggest mistakes that professionals make so the first one is not knowing yourself and by not knowing yourself you you go for opportunities that actually don't align with your values or you go for jobs that are just for the money's sake of it so when i coach people i'm like before we even look at jobs, before we look at whatever opportunities, who are you as a person? What are your strengths? What are areas of improvements? What are your passions? What makes you angry in the world, you know? And then once you define that, then you create a goal for yourself saying, based on who I am as a person, these are the opportunities I want to pursue. So this apply. it doesn't have to be professional. It can be anything. Based on what you like, what you don't like, your strengths, your areas of improvements, your passions, things that make you angry. Who, what do you then want to do? So then you set that goal. And from that goal, you, it makes it easy to say yes and no to opportunities because if they do not align with who you've defined yourself to be, is it definitely, I'm not going to do that. But if they do, then you can look at it closer like, okay, is the timing right? Do I have the right network uh, to come along that? The second mistake is doubting your value. This is where you hold yourself back because you do not think you meet the criteria. And this applies to any scenario. So to counter that is you need to know yourself and then you need to advocate for yourself. So even within the work that you and I do, Tony, we have yeah. to talk about ourselves. Yeah. You know, you meet people, they're like, what do you do? We can't shrink and not tell people what we do because in telling how, what people what we do, opportunities and networks right. and that sort of thing arises. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, you can keep going. Yep. And the third one, and I find this one particularly true for migrants and with our African background talking about, you know, the past, this is thinking that performance is the number one factor to progression. It's either career progression, academic pro progression. The research um, by, done by Harvey Coleman actually says performance only accounts for 10%. Yeah. So when you go for interviews or if you want to go for a promotion, only 10% of your performance actually counts. The other 90% is your personal brand. It's how people view you. It's how people describe you, Tony. It's how you carry yourself. Like when people look at you, do they say you're a confident person? There's an article I read in the Harvard Business Review recently that said speaking up in meetings is actually the number one factor that gets people promoted from being an individual contributor to a manager. But isn't that a bad way of reviewing in a way because it's it, it 
to me, and I could be wrong, feel free to sort of <laughs> do, okay. do your work and question me <laughs> in terms of my thinking. It sounds more like saying, because I think there's certain people that, I'm one of those. I can get into a space and really be awkward until, unless I really know you. People can yep. talk and put on a whole lot of ideas on the table and whatnot. I'm generally not a person who works like that. Yeah. But I'll put on the work in terms of, you know, any other thing than having to be the loudest in the room or whatever the case. Yeah. Isn't that sort of a bad thing of sort of measuring who might be worth? when you look at who's talking the most and unless if it's a unless if it's a communication kind of cooperation or whatever yeah. stuff like that so it's not about being the loudest it's about being seen it's about being visible so in terms of let's just say a meeting in a meeting scenario in a group scenario you can discussion can be going on and you can be taking all that information and then if you leave that space without contributing, people don't know where, like what your opinion is. So when I coach people, I say to them, ask the question, be the first one. It's always easy to come in at the start. Right. And, or, and then you just, you can pose a question or a saying like, I agree with what Tony said. That's speaking up in meetings. So it's people hearing your voice. It's people getting used to you speaking and you don't have to come with super genius ideas. Right. It's actually just being heard, like people hearing your voice and people seeing you. Because when, say you're like sitting at a table and you speak, everyone looks like, oh, there's Tony. And going back to my point number one of knowing who you are, the idea is you then project your passions through mm -hmm. that or you project, you know, what what you like, what you don't like. So mm. outside of that room. So most decisions that impact our, like in the professional realm, which is where I work, that impacts us, those decisions are made in rooms we're not in. So think promotion, think demotion, think whatever, interviews. Yeah. Those decisions are made in rooms that we're not in. So what we want to do is when they're making that decision, you want them to see you as the right person, as the right fit for whatever it is that they're considering. Right. Okay. And and in the context, therefore, where it's a space of English speaking and somebody's battling with that, aren't we now looking at a complete different way of demoting somebody because it might be a matter of confidence than a matter of good performance? Yep, yep. So the counter to imposter syndrome is yeah. building your confidence. So if English is your second language, for me, English is my second language as well. Like there's, yeah. there's words I'll say and people are like, what? What did you say? <laughs> uh, now I'm comfortable. I just laugh at it. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. English is not my first language. Type yeah. But it's just building your confidence. And I think the misconception is you have to sound like, like have the accent of so if here in Australia, like you have to sound Australian. Actually, you don't. However, there's still people that are not progressive enough to actually understand that learning, say, English is tough. Like that is resilience. Like, like I've met uh, students that have come 
you know, at the university, not speaking English. They come learn English for a year, then they go into, say, an engineering degree, and they still ace that. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, like skill at another level. Yeah, I mean that's amazing. But I'm I'm just thinking about how it's 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 too much to work on. Mm. Confidence is one thing. Mastering your English is another thing. I don't know. Um, you wanna you wanna maybe continue with the other ones, unless if there's still something to sort of wrap up with point three. Um. So performance. When you focus only on performance, you can overwork yourself. Right. You can. You can burn out. You know, it's like if you take students studying for their HSC. You hear from the teachers, you hear from the students, you hear from all the people in that world saying it's so stressful. Yeah. But the transition from high school to university, personally, I don't think it's as intense as people think. Like there's a coming through to university with the ATAR, which is what they do here, is one path. For some people, they need to come in when they're 25. Right. Like it's this idea of, well, I find when you just focus on performance, you sometimes you put so much pressure on yourself that you burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. So it's about considering holistically who you are as a per- person. So performance is one part, and then there's all these other parts. Right, okay. Yeah, and the fourth one is continually upgrading your qualifications, hoping that they will open up opportunities for you. This is another big one within our migrant community where people tend to... I'll go and get a nursing qualification. I want to change industry. Let me go and do a disability qualification. I want to change industry. What people don't realize is within each profession, we have this what's called transferable skills. Okay. So those skills that you learn, you can transfer them into another industry. The key is about how do you, tra- how do you communicate that? How do you? So I worked recently with them. Um, with a client who was, uh, so she's a social worker and she was working with children, but she wanted to move into a different area like adults. And as I was talking with her, she was looking at entry level, uh, like adults, social work. I'm like, why are you looking at entry level yet? You're sort of like ready for that next leadership. She's like, oh, but I have, I don't have experience in adult social work. I was like, the framework you use is the same. The client or the participants are what, that's the difference. Yeah. So then we worked on articulating that and she actually applied for a senior job and she got it. Wow. But she wouldn't have because she didn't think she could transfer or translate the skill set to that next level. Unless the the, um, upgrading or doing different qualifications has other rewards than just wanting to switch from one career to the other, oh, right? Because, yeah. for instance, there's a lot of students who come and they've done, like, your biokin, not biokinesis, just because that biokinesis is, is part of the health system, right? But part of the students that I lecture, they would come from different disciplines mm-hmm. and then switch to do um, social work, but that's for visa purposes. Yep. yep. So that could be, like, for a different reward as yeah. opposed to, yeah. But then, okay, I don't think this is part of the, because I, w- I would have asked that the, 
the kind of transference and whatnot then um okay that's 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 irrelevant let's leave it <laughs> let's leave it sorry you want to continue um yep. and then the last one is not being intentional about building a support system around you right so this is about um building community so where you want to go trying to find someone who's walked that walk right. and they give you tips they give you pointers sometimes it's not actually a physical person sometimes it's reading sometimes it's listening to podcasts you know you get information that you don't have and then also within like i'll give you a statistics within the professional um industry only about 10 percent of jobs get advertised most of them are just word of mouth yeah and so if and of those 10 percent that are advertised I don't know what percentage someone's already doing the job right. and they're acting in it. So to increase your chances, so it, this doesn't have to be just professional in any realm, networking, talking to people. And this means pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, especially if you're so used to being in your community that looks and sounds and talks like you. Yeah. Right. And all those five points, how do just in a summative way, how how would they look like in a context where somebody is not, you're not talking about somebody in an organization, but you're talking about in a moral social setting. Obviously, it's easy to speak about. So for instance, the last one, technically, the summary of it is not networking, right? Mm. If I was, I was to summarize, but in this case, you're talking about having a mentor and whatnot. So you could be a migrant here, uh, fairly new, it'll be great to sort of link up with people who have been here for quite a long time and ask them a couple of questions. How did you deal with this? How did you deal with that? And how can I overcome in this space? But as for the other ones, how do they look like in a context where it's not just within an organization or looking for a job or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. So um, my husband is a sports fanatic. Right. And he's said to me sport has been one of the greatest lessons and uh, greatest teachers for him so within a sport so i'd say to people join a social club join sport join a cooking club just join a group of people that you haven't curated to put together so with he plays soccer and he meets people that live in different areas than he does different socioeconomic backgrounds but they're forced to work towards a common goal. Mm-hmm. So you learn communication, you learn conflict resolution, you learn how to play with someone you might not like. And so sport or those community settings, it could be cooking, it could be dancing, it could be even going to the gym, gets you out of your comfort zone. You're in a group for a specific time. All of you are working towards a goal but you're pushing yourself. So that's another way of networking. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be as structured, like, you know, like business professional. Right, thing. right. So it could be joining a group of people generally right. will teach you how, yeah, to, yeah. how to network. Yeah. So in the case where one does that and whatnot, but can we ever come to a point where we say really imposter syndrome really disappears on people or it's something that 
does not leave us, but it just has. One should just have a good way of managing it, so to say. Yep. Um, I think the key to imposter syndrome is to identify the triggers that get you yes. into that space of, you know, imposter syndrome. And then, because most imposter syndrome uh, influence it's internal dialogue. So it's what do you do when those thoughts come that tell you, Tony, you do not belong into that room. So you need to come up with counter thoughts. So say, let's take that first aid example you gave. But those people don't want to partner with you, you like, you know what? I belong here. That's the issue. I'm going to go and just approach someone. Or I'll go to the instructor and say, could you partner with me? Where you just have to force yourself to just go past that thought of saying, you do not belong. Now, the funny thing about that, I didn't finish that story. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a sociologist, and whenever I figured out that nobody wanted to partner with me, I sort of played it out quickly in my head to see, okay, who are these people? And I did build part of my own assumptions um, about them. Obviously, we, we all generate assumptions. What we do with them is what matters at the end of the day. And then you could see they're very clean, neat kind of people. I don't touch this, I don't touch that, and whatnot. And then as I looked around, eventually you can see this sort of a way that people can look at each other and the connection would be either we're both neat yeah. and visible um, or whatever, we like same colors or yep. whatever. And then I figured there was only <laughs> one man who looked really, really dirty, didn't win, and nobody wanted to go to him. And I had to walk across across the hall all the way to the other side and he was happy to partner with me so i sort of used that kind of a strategy to say okay there's always somebody who 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 might look white who might be white but might look like not a favorable to the rest of the other people and it sounds sounds very stereotypical but it's it's how society is it's a coping it's how it's how animals do it you know you band with your yeah people that look like you yeah at least until you get to know them more and yeah. yeah awesome yeah so with imposter syndrome it's recognizing i guess i'll go back to how we started there's a difference between imposter syndrome questions who you are it questions your identity yeah self-doubt it's about questioning your capability and your ability to do something self-doubt the answer to that is give yourself time learn whatever the new skill is right. and eventually you'll become competent whereas with imposter syndrome it's about knowing there's nothing wrong with you so this is where you might take some work whether it's work with a psychologist or with a coach working through that and then becoming comfortable in your own skin and being okay when you're in places that reject you like okay that place rejects me but not thinking the place rejecting you has something to do with you. Like, with you or with your capability? With, with imposter syndrome, it's with you. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when, oh, yes, yes. I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So places rejecting you because of who you are has nothing to do with you. It has something to do either with the systems or... Right. I don't know. Could be just they still have a lot of learning to do. And when those feelings of imposter syndrome come, it's just identifying, saying, okay, this is something that's coming. This is something that's triggering me. 
And I'll just tell you just some ways that imposter syndrome yes. shows up. So, so you could be experiencing imposter syndrome when you think that people have an exaggerated view of your abilities. So when you're in a place where people are going to discover the real Tony or the real Tawana, and you're constantly thinking, I need to hide this so that they don't discover that actually I don't belong in this place. Okay. Uh, if you have a fear of being exposed as a fraud, <laughs> could be you're suffering from imposter syndrome. And another one is continuously downplaying your achievements. Like, oh, it's okay. Oh, I did that. And so... Being secure in yourself, in your capabilities, in your achievements, just owning who you are as a person is one strategy to counter imposter syndrome. So in coaching, if someone comes and they have any of those three, we'll then dig deeper and say, okay, why do you feel you're going to be exposed? Why do you feel you could be a fraud? And then you work through it to get to the root of it. Then you deal with the root by intercepting it, saying, okay, the root is saying, you know, you're saying when you're younger, people told you this. Now let's reframe that. What, what can you say about yourself? And then I actually have people write that on their mirror. So first thing in the morning, you say the opposite of yeah. the words that are continually playing. And the last part is then taking action. So you can't just stop by just saying, okay, I'm going to just change how I think. You have to then take action towards the person that you want to be, towards the goals that you want to achieve as a person. And as a coach, then how do you deal with a case where people might refuse the idea of counseling or seeing a psychologist and whatnot? Because perhaps a certain shadows that they don't want to revisit in yeah. that fashion. So as a coach, how do you, how do you, now it's more of a technical in terms of your application as your work. Yeah. 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 Um, if they don't want to, they don't want to, I can still give them the tools. So some people can actually work through trauma by themselves. Some people have that sort of tenacity and resilience. But does it, doesn't it matter what kind of a trauma it is? Is it any kind of trauma? that they can work it by themselves? Some people don't want to open up and they don't want to revisit. And our body actually has an interesting way of dealing with trauma. It shuts down. That's So it's like um, someone who has a near drowning experience. Mm-hmm. When they're in water, they get into water, their body tells them this is not safe. And they'll just think, okay, I don't want to get into the water. And they might never learn to swim but they will avoid that situation that brings them close to that experience they had with trauma. So that can be the same as any other trauma. You encourage people to seek help. Um, You never force anyone to seek help. Um, If it's about safety, you can override that. Like um, if someone is going to harm themselves or harm someone else, you can override that and just say, look, they're going to be... They could hurt themselves, they could hurt someone. Mm-hmm. And then, like here, at least we've got um, systems and procedures yeah. in place for people to do that. But in just the normal sense, if someone does not want to, uh, especially within the migrant community, it's not something that's common 
that you go and sit and talk to someone about yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah about things that happened um I found I have had situations that you can offer books, say read this book, right, right, or listen to this podcast, or and then I'm per- coming for them. <laughs> You'll listen to this podcast. <laughs> listen to this, <laughs> listen podcast. To this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, right. That's really amazing. Um, I don't know if you have any more to sort of touch on 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 your side. I think on my side, I've exhausted. Um. I just wanted to say when you're experiencing ex- uh, imposter syndrome, you can self-sabotage yourself. Right. And some of the way you self-sabotage is you can procrastinate is when um, you procrastinate as a coping mechanism. Like you want to avoid the work, you know, like with imposter syndrome, you can, you want to present stuff as perfectionist, you know, you want to present yourself as this expert. But that pressure of doing that can cause you to procrastinate. Uh-huh. It can cause you to overwork. It can cause you to ruminate where you're having just like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. And you, you get, you exhaust yourself from mm. the what if this, what if that. Um, then perfectionism as well. It's an an unattainable standard, but if you're constantly aiming for perfectionism, you're actually self-sabotaging. And the last one is the negative self-talk. Is mm-hmm. when you the voice we hear the most is our own voice, and if that voice is constantly telling you you're not good enough, that's not going to be good for you. So, in dealing with uh, imposter syndrome, it's there's tips and tools on how to overcome those self-sabotage right. things we could do or we do. It's really my, even part of this work, as I don't know if you pay attention every time when I sort of wrap up, I say to people, go here and be the best human being, be yes. the best version of yourself. Exactly. And, and, and that is really Part of my wish for so many people, yep. you know, for all humanities and everything that we do, because the more you're a good person, the more the next person clo- or anybody closest to you can also feel yep. safe and, you know, can also get the courage to also deal with their own yep. Yep. challenges, so to say. So I really commend you, you know, for your work. And, and I wish we can talk more further you know in many other episodes about you know your work what you really do um um like community engagements developments and whatnot apart from uh your work at Afol and also your work at the uni but i know you're very you're very much of a hands-on person and involved even in your church organization and stuff like that how can people get you know access to you like if they need more coaching for their businesses or just self-growth, personal development and stuff like that. Yeah, so people can find me on social media. It's at Apple Coaching, uh, at Apple Coaching Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and or people can find me on my website, which is apple.com.au. Or you can ask Tony. Yep, definitely. <laughs> to get me. Yes. But I am um, 
I am really passionate about helping people. What gets me out of bed is knowing that I can impact someone for the better. And that is probably my purpose. You know, we talk about purpose <laughs> and just the joy of seeing, you know, you impact someone, then they impact someone, exactly like what you said, they impact someone else. And you don't know how far your reach goes, but it's just being the version, best version of yourself and bringing as many people along the journey as you can. Right. Is that all for today? Yeah, Great place all. to end. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for coming. Oh, you brought me to your house anyways, but <laughs> thanks for coming to the show. I really appreciate your time and, you know, you're sharing with us your expertise. I really appreciate it. You're most welcome, Tony. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to you listeners of the Visions and Tones uh, for tuning in. And please uh, do visit um, afl.com.au. So it is a-f-f-u-l.com.au. And you will see uh, there's a beautiful opening page. I think this is a page. Yeah, you'll see Afl Leadership and Business Coaching. And there's a... Um, statement is that a, do you, what do you call that a statement helping you have clarity to focus on what really matters by decluttering the business that steals time yeah. so that's about it and you'll see all different kinds of links from you know consultation booking online stores um career catalyst um you'll see resume webinars and you know sign up to newsletters and i've actually seen uh, a couple of uh, Tawana's work and I was really, really impressed and excited to see the work that she does. And she did a, a free resume webinar, which was also amazing if you want to sort of work on your resume. It's a very brilliant webinar that she did there. And there was a lot of Q&As and stuff like that that she really responded to that. So take your time, check out Tawana's work and support her and her family. And thank you for tuning in go ye and be the best version of yourself be best humans and love one another we are out cheers thank you Tony